Howdy, and welcome to the Aggie Greats podcast. My name is Kenner, and I'm so glad you joined us this week as we dive deep to understand what makes the great, great. Here on Aggie Greats, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to live life to the fullest. We're so glad you're along for the journey, so let's pursue greatness. Well, howdy, and welcome back to the Aggie Grades podcast. I cannot express how excited I am to be sharing this episode with you guys today. This is a conversation with Britt Harris, who, among many other things, is a friend, a mentor, basically family at this point. He's a fourth-generation Aggie who grew up in Bryan. He is kind of the definition as we talk about what an Aggie grade is. He has just set such a strong example, not just what it looks like to work professionally well, being rated one of the top three asset investors globally, but also what it means to take complex topics and boil them down. And that's exactly what we did in today's episode. We talked about a lot of different things. Some of them are kind of going back to the 5C framework that we shared earlier, but Britt has an amazing outline where we talk about how to look at things from the lens of what are our five F's, our faith, family, friends, fitness, and finance. We talk about what does it look like hitting rock bottom, and more importantly, we talk about what does it look like to define success. And I think it's so fun because as we get into this episode, we talk that about how success is by far not the most important or the highest form of achievement. So stay tuned in this episode. We jump straight into it. Uh, I'm dropping you guys right in the middle of the episode. So let's get to it. Well, howdy and welcome back to the Aggie Greats podcast. Today we are joined with a very special guest, Britt Harris. Britt Harris is a, a man of many wonders. He's, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're yeah. We're breaking I, it down. I wonder. Class of class of eighty. Britt has been an amazing mentor in the Titans class. I'm class of T thirty four. He has a granddaughter who's going to be T seventy two, if I remember correctly. Oh yeah, that's right. Maybe. And so we're already already brainwashing the kids. But Britt, welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's great to be here, Ken. I've been looking forward to it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm going to spring a very tough question on you right out the gate. I'm wondering what's the best piece of advice you've ever received. Yeah. So. Okay, I'm 63 years. I'm supposed to do just the one piece. Some, I'm going to give your you whole two. life into okay, one sentence. Some one sentence, yeah. I'll give you two. You know, the first one is don't do anything on a relative basis. Mm. There's always somebody more handsome, richer, more popular, better looking than you are. So you don't want to set yourself up on a standard that's kind of a worldly standard like that. Yeah. Because you'll always be a loser. <laughs> the other one is what is a saying that my mother said to me over and over and over when I was a teenager. She'd say, you're not like everyone else. Yeah. And, of course, as a teenager, I kind of like, I want to be like everyone else. You're not like everybody else. I want to go to that party or whatever. You're not like everyone else. And that just ticked me off. <laughs> but you know what? As I grew up, I was I was happy to, to, to have had a parent who led me to believe that I didn't need to, to be like everybody else. Yeah. I just need to be myself. I think that that's an important identifier that a lot of, what I think that's perfect to feed into kind of the idea and something that you've kind of shared a lot throughout the Titans class is the idea of you don't really have to be good at everything. You have to be really, really good at one thing. And yeah. why is that so important when we're looking at kind of stepping out of college and into more of the, the professional realm? Well, the... Because you're in a completely different world. In the academic realm, you're trying to be good at everything. Yeah. And so, you know, I kid the students in Titans because I don't look at GPAs, but they tend to be very, very high GPAs. Lots of them all A's. Mm -hmm. And when I go in and I say, look, I, I really feel sorry for you. All A's. How do you know what you're good at? And it's kind of like, I only had one or two A's, so pretty clear it was either good at those things or nothing when you get out first of all a whole different set of skills are required you're not taking tests anymore yeah but you you know let's say that i have f five b's and one a and you have all a's but in my one a i'm the best mm. the extraordinary one the one that's with incredible combination of of both the technical skills that you need but more importantly, the intuitive and the leadership and the empathy and the courage. Yeah. There's a lot of people who can do things on a piece of paper, but they can't pull the trigger. Right. The 
it's a big, big difference between I'm going to answer A, B, C, or D, or I'm going to answer A, and it's going to be a $500 million loss yeah. if I'm wrong. Right. Man, and it's kind of similar to whatever realm you're in. I mean, for me as an athlete, you have a deuce point, and it's literally make or to break it. Your team either wins or you go home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and moments like that are when it really shows your character, and I think character is kind of the decisions you're willing to make when well when no one's watching but then also in those high pressure moments so do you think that's primarily nature or nurture oh man that moment i want to say that it's i i really think that nurture is a big piece of it i think that we are all fallen i mean when when adam and eve sinned you know we were born into a fallen world and just you know and we look at them and we're like it's their fault right but you know i think that man Yes, we're created in God's image, but that doesn't mean that we weren't born into a fallen world. And so when it goes to that nature versus nurture part, I think that we are all born sinful and we we all fall short of the glory of God. But when we look at the nurture piece, I think that that plays a huge role into how we develop the skills and the leadership necessary to actually be able to make those decisions. Yeah. And maybe, I don't know, do you have well, a different perspective? Yeah. Well, no, I, I just use different, I like your words, but it's very deep, by the way, your response. So that's the redemption part. Mm-hmm. And so really where I was going, although I liked your answer better, was when you get to those those points when a tough decision has to be made, what preconditions exist that allow you to make a good decision at that point? Mm. Is it just natural, like I just know how to make good decisions? Or is it preparation and consideration and solitude before the decision ever comes up? You put yourself in this situation saying, when this situation arrives, because you know, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about tennis, it'd be pretty hard to get through tennis without getting to that point right. <laughs> several yeah. times. You know, you prepare for the point ahead of time so that when you get there, you already know how you're going to respond. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you don't want to be in the moment responding emotionally, making things up. And so just about everything in life can be anticipated. Mm-hmm. Or you can just say bad things happen. Right. What am I going to do? Or I'm going to have a temptation at some point in the future. You know, what will I do then? If you're not prepared at that moment in the, from the past, you're sitting duck. Yeah. I think something when it comes to tennis, we, we say a lot, prior preparation prevents poor performance. Of course. You say that a lot in tennis? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you really. Well, do you think about it? Okay. We're, we spend 99% yes. of our time yeah. training, training, training for the 1% of the time that we're actually competing. It's, I mean, I'm. you know I'm all for that. Oh, yeah. The, so do you even know where that comes from? No idea. <laughs> that saying comes from James Baker. Okay. James Baker, the great diplomat. He was Secretary of State, Secretary of Treasury, mm-hmm. served... He's probably in this category of Henry Kissinger. He lives in Houston. Baker yeah. Botts, Rice University. Oh, yeah. His saying Big with time. all of his people was always prior preparation prevents poor performance. Mm. Just say it over and over. Prior preparation prevents poor performance. That's a Prior twister. preparation <laughs> prevents poor performance. Prior preparation Pre- prevents, prevents poor, poor performance. performance. And so if you haven't prepared in advance, your performance is at best going to be random. Yeah. And I think that... Sometimes part of that, your experience coming out of college was a lot different than a lot of people. You got very, very fortunate. Who who was the very first person that you worked for coming out of college? Believe it or not, the first person I worked for out of college was Earl Nye. Mm. And for your listeners, Earl Nye, if you don't know, is an Aggie icon. Uh, he's been the chairman of the regions at least two times. What I've learned from working with all these young people in Titans is that very often your first boss kind of brands you. Mm. The reason is, like, you've never had a boss, and so this is the first guy you've ever seen yeah. or gal nowadays, and you just think how they are is how bosses are. Right. And, of course, I've learned that to be true with hundreds and hundreds of the Titans, but usually it's not a great experience. <laughs> yeah, I had Earl Nye. And a guy named Gerald Gibbs who worked with Earl and me. So I worked for an Aggie who worked for an Aggie. Men who have incredible character, just an incredible ability. And all three of us were Aggies. And how lucky it was I took care of the bag for those guys. And all three of us are now distinguished alumni. Man, 
That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think as athletes, Nye ha- we have the Nye Academic Center, mm-hmm. uh, which is where all the athletes study. And so, I mean, I'm there every single day. And so I, it's cool to hear the legacy. When we t- we're talking about Aggie greats, like you literally yeah. got to spend time with one of the most distinguished Aggie greats out I know, there. and I didn't even know. He was so great at the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although I thought he was great at the time. But I think that you learn so much from those experiences. And even people who come out of college and maybe don't have the best prospects or don't. I mean, my, my dad came out of college and chipped paint for a while, and then mm-hmm. he was like, this is not something I want to do, yeah. <laughs> and went and was able to start his own company. But th- there's just so much to be learned, like you said, from the people right. that we – I think the people that we surround ourselves, one, that has a huge impact, especially when we're young. And I I think when we're talking about the people that you surround yourself, when you're you're born, the the two most people who, you know, assuming that, you know, you're fortunate enough to have both parents in the picture, the people that pour into you the most during those young years are your parents. And, And for you... Obviously, you're a fourth-generation Aggie. You at least were born here in Bryan. What was the impact that they had on your development and on the way that you kind of start to view the world, that that picture frame you always talk about? Oh, sure. My gosh, you know, if you have two strong, you know, healthy parents, you're the, that's pretty much the luckiest thing you can yeah. have. And unfortunately, it's, it's increasingly where I saw a stat, I think it was yesterday, Kenner, where just before I talk about my parents, because yeah. I was very fortunate, where children were living with with two parents has dropped from forty four percent of society to seventeen percent of society. I've got to unpack that. That's brutal. A little bit more, but yeah, it doesn't sound good. Well, and the divorce statistics are extremely high as well. But they're also overstated. So mm-hmm. since you brought that up, yes, yeah. let's, let's just clarify this. But everybody thinks the divorce rate's fifty percent, and that's technically true, but it's misleading because your prospects of divorce are not fifty percent. Mm-hmm. The fifty percent, if you take out people who have children before they're 20 and live in poverty and people who are divorced multiple times. Have, have you had a child? Do you live in, in, in poverty? Not that I know. <laughs> Pretty sure. Have you been divorced multiple times? The divorce rate is actually for you, for the typical person, is only 25%. So mm. that's a big difference because if yeah. people go in and think it's a 50-50 deal, that's when you get such a lack of commitment. I right. don't know about this. It's not 50-50. Yeah. It's, it's 75% just for the typical person. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. So so when you – so your parents obviously were together. Oh, yeah, so they raised want, you. Yeah. yeah. So and, I have two parents. Yeah. yeah. They, I have two parents, as most people do. <laughs> <laughs> but they're both from Odessa, Texas. My dad went here. My mother went to TCU. And my dad was – obviously, in those days, you were on the course. So he went to the Air Force for his first four years up in Massachusetts. And then when he got out of the Air Force, he went to work for Mobile Oil because he had a degree from here from Petroleum Engineering and Business Administration. And he went to pretty much right out of the gate up to Mobile Oil, and they sent us to Ankara, Turkey. Mm. And so for five years, my dad ran the military aspect of Mobile's oil operations in the Middle East. And wow. we lived in Ankara, and I was like four to nine years old, so really formative years. Yeah, I remember it with a incredible fondness. We all lived in this expat community. There's no television. We went back and forth from Ankara, Turkey to Odessa. Man. And it sort of, what it did for me was it made me feel pretty comfortable wherever I, wherever I am. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, people ask me, like, are you a citizen of the world, Brent? <laughs> and I said, yeah, well, yeah. You know, but that's not the first. I'm, I'm a citizen of the United States. Right. Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm a citizen of Texas. Yes, <laughs> Texas is his own country. Yes, it is. So, so they did. So, I had a really good example. And Dad got promoted uh, to senior vice president. I think he was the youngest ever. Now, they also are doing this. They were having four children, and they were they started church with some other folks mm-hmm. in in Massachusetts. They helped bring Christian missionaries into Turkey. So it was not only a, a family of you know successful executives. My mother was also just a brilliant teacher and, and principal over time and just a great caretaker of the family. And so that's what I saw, Yeah, you know, the whole way through. And again, that's what I thought was normal. Yeah. And just if you'll abide me for a second, just a little detour here, because what I didn't realize for years is that other people didn't think that was normal, mm-hmm. that what they had seen was not that. Right. And so, 
now I'm jumped to 32 or 33. The company has now become Verizon. And I have a very talented young woman with me, and we're at the development center, and we're early. And so we're waiting in the car, and I just ask her, you know, her name is Robin Diamond. I said, Robin, how far do you think you can go? And Robin looked back at me and said, well, I, I hope I can be a middle-level manager. And, of course, that didn't, like, I thought I'd start at a middle-level manager. Yeah. Like, how can you, and I was just, you know, Robin, how can you say that? You, and, by the way, she was already the senior researcher for an $80 billion Man. investment company, but still saw herself as, I hope I can be a middle-level manager. And I said, that's, that's just a ridiculous thing to think, Robin. You should, you should have answered, I want your job. Which is the answer, by the way, I gave to Earl Knight naively when he asked me that question. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, you know, he just laughed about it. But I said, Robin, your mindset is not true. It's not accurate. You have the ability to have my job. And I probably shouldn't have said that because, you know what? She got my job. Yeah, wow. Now I had moved on by yeah. <laughs> then. And today she runs a $100 billion fund. Wow. So I just realized that people who haven't lived in that kind of a beneficial environment with two great parents and you're seeing success and high values and high character and work ethic and spiritual life and all those things somebody has to speak it into their life later on mm-hmm. and all they all robin needed was just somebody to say that's not your limit this is your limit yeah and she is in the top five global investors in the world wow that's amazing yeah i'm not saying i'm taking credit for it i just said you can do better. And yeah, you certainly did. Well, I think a lot of it is believing if you go into a match thinking, I'm not going to win this match. I have zero chance. You're never going to win yeah. that match. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So a lot of it is you have to go into a match believing yeah. that there's no chance you fail and not saying that you're hundred percent guaranteed to win. But if you go in with the mindset of, I don't have a chance here and your whole team is on your shoulders and you're the last match on to clinch and you're out there believing, hey, I don't know if I can pull this off. The odds of you pulling that off are well, <laughs> pretty low. Well, what 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 that means is you can't fail. Right. Uh, because you've already decided that you're going to fail. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> so, a good point. So, you know, <laughs> right. and that's a mindset that, I, unfortunately, I think is more common than, you know, we would believe. And sometimes it's even in ourselves that, you know, I can't do this. And so, therefore, what you're really doing is saying... I can't win, so therefore I can't also can't fail. Mm. And the fact is that that to the, where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, that's why I named my third son Will. <laughs> so I can say where there's a <laughs> will, there's, there's a, a way. way. Look at awesome. him right there. <laughs> that's awesome. When you look at obviously you have a beautiful family. I mean, family is probably one of the most important pieces of your life, especially sure. in this yep. chapter. Any um, chapter. Yeah, yeah, any chapter. I think it's probably one of the best investments you can make. At my age, it's kind of the best investment you can make is in yourself, well, I think. Yeah, Maybe well, that's... you know, with family, you know, what is that? A failure is not an option. Yeah. You know, and I know it's difficult, and I know we have failures up and down, but in the end, you know, if I fail in my career, it's not desirable, but yeah. not the end of the world, you know. But if I fail with my family, if I fail with my wife, if I fail with my kids, I have no definition of success that would include that. Yeah as a part, as a, con, you know, sort of a consequence of the success. When, when we're looking at students, a lot of people who listen to this are exactly in my shoes, are Aggies who are just probably a few steps behind, maybe a lot of steps behind <laughs> where, where you are. And obviously I'm a senior now and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm going into my master's and then that's my college experience. When we, and, and I have friends who, you know, the ring by spring at A&M, that means a little bit Mm -hmm. different. Uh, But, you know, a lot of people are getting married. A lot of people are, have been in a committed relationship for a long time. And yet I don't think people really understand the objective of marriage. And I think that you have a a pretty strong idea of, of the objective of marriage. And I'd love for your, your thoughts on that. Yeah. So just to elaborate on your point and then answer your question in college, it has become much more competitive. Mm-hmm. You know, I would love to say oh, it was way harder when I was here, and, but it w- it could have been harder or easier, but it wasn't as competitive. And by that, I mean, you didn't have to make a three, five to have a chance at a decent job. You know, now if you don't make a three, five, one in certain majors like business, you might as well make a two, zero. Why am I bringing that up? Because 
you don't have time to to develop the relationships that we developed when it was less competitive. And I don't mean just with for marriage. I mean just mean in general. Yeah. The one of the things that started Titans was when two very terrific seniors told me. I asked them about their college experience, and they told me their resume. I said, did you make any lifelong friends? And I said, well, you know, to make that 3.9 is tough work. We just, that's what we regret. Mm. And so that's friendship, and it's also, you know, potential marriage You miss the path along the way. You're so focused on the, the destination that you miss everything in between. Yes, or in, or you just never get on the path at all. Yeah. So, so the... So, as you know, we have a relationship talk for Titans, and it's, yeah. it's always special to me, and my wife and I do it together, and we have, sometimes have friends. And, and we ask you guys, like, how do you go from marriage, from never having seen the person you're going to marry, to married? And we do that knowing what's going to happen, which is total chaos. <laughs> like, nobody has any idea, right. you know, how you do it. And so, and we, so we establish sort of what would be a healthy process for that to occur. Then we've got a situation now where because everybody's going to college men and women rightfully you know it makes sense that like the men i gotta get my career started well why would a woman be any different she's once i've just been in college for four years or six years or what man she's had a master's right spent a lot of money and so the so the the average age of getting married now has gone from 22 for a woman to 28 wow which is crazy yeah, well, six-year difference. Yes, and well, yeah, but what about the men who've gone from twenty-two to thirty-one <laughs> oh, or thirty-two? That's even worse, yeah. Yeah, and I just tell these wonderful girls, you know, when you get married depends on you because unfortunately, not a high-character man that we're talking about here in Titans, but too many men now are just willing to remain boys, mm-hmm. frankly, as long as the woman will yeah. allow. Well, I think a lot of guys don't necessarily know or have a solid idea of what they're pursuing, and I think. Part of that is just society has created a very, I think with, with all the dating apps and whatnot, there are options. Oh gosh. And and I'll say even social media itself, you're, you're like, oh, I I really like this girl, but this other girl has this, you know, so it's, it's a comparison game. You said, don't at the beginning of the podcast, (laughs) you're like, don't make decisions with relativity in mind, but this is like almost higher stakes than this is very high stakes, you know? And so, so what we, t- what we tell you guys is this is the second most decision you're ever going to make in your life. Mm-hmm. And so it's a serious decision, and it has incredible potential benefits, and it can create incredible harm as yeah. well, depending on how you approach it. So, so I mean, Titans, Titans is not a, in the theology school, but we just tell everybody ahead of time, like, we're going to use some scripture here, and and maybe everybody's, this is not your thing, but this is a book of wisdom at the very least. And right. More to some of us, a lot of us. And we actually go through Genesis chapter 1 through 3 where God actually sets up the marriage relationship. And I think he talks, he does a lot in Genesis chapter 1 through 3 because we don't have very long attention spans, I think. <laughs> kind of like, right. you know, if you just take the first, just take the first few words of the Bible, in the beginning God created. Well, if you can believe that, in the beginning God created. If you can believe that, you're good to go. Right. The rest of scripture, but you know, it talks about about the creation of a male and a female, suitable helper, all those kind of things. But one definition of the purpose of marriage, if you're coming from a scriptural perspective, is to reign and rule over everything that God puts before you, side by side, as equal partners in right relationship with God one another in the world. So that's a long definition, so let me repeat it. <laughs> to reign and rule over everything that God puts before you. It could be your kids, it could be your business, it could be your, something in your community. Everything that God puts before you, side by side, that's important to remember because there's, there's a different kind of marriage that's not side by side that you don't want. Side by side as equal partners, but different. So thank the Lord that Julie and I are equal, but she's way different than I am. I can't imagine if, <laughs> if I was married to somebody like me, that was, you know, she, she's just a perfect compliment, obviously, but in right relationship with God, one another in the world. And it, the Bible says if you live that way, you live under God's blessing. Yeah. You live under God's approval, you know, God's protection. You know, 
you know, you're open to God's ways. It doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to be hunky-dory every single minute of the day, but it's going to be much better than if you go any other route. Yeah. And so if you go over to the fall, just to complete this, because there's another kind of marriage which lives under the curse. That's kind of strong language for, you know, it sounds like medieval talk. Right. You know, it lives outside of God's blessing. And, you know, so when the fall came and we decided, you know, to, to obey something or believe in something other than what God said, we came out of his blessing. And there's a scripture in where the woman is being told, what's, says she's going to have to paint in childbirth. I have four kids. Believe it or not, Julia went natural, totally wow. natural with all four of them. That's amazing. I got a tough wife. <laughs> brother. I got a tough wife. Opposite the track. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's, a, that's, that's dirty. That's dirty. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and uh, there's, you know, there's, that's when we have epidurals and things like that. Yeah. There's, that's a true statement. But then it says, her desire shall be for her husband, but he will rule over her. Mm. So if you don't know the original, it's side-by-side side equal partner. That's the right, you know, with right relationship with God, one another. Well, now they've lost their relationship with God. Yeah. Now they're losing their relationship with one another. And and what it, it sounds great, at least her sexual desire would be for me. It's just a PG thing. But that's, that's not what it means. There's another scripture pretty shortly afterwards. It says, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you. Mm-hmm. What it means is the woman has decided that the man is not able. She's lost her respect for the man, and she feels like, I've just got to take over. She puts him on the ground, puts her stiletto heel on him, and says, I'm in charge now. Yeah. And, they've, and of course, the man has participated in this outcome as well. And she gets two outcomes. He's a really passive husband. How much do you like to watch ESPN? A lot, right? Yeah, of course. Can you imagine 24-7 ESPN? Like, it's more fun being on court. But. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Or she gets a, a husband who kicks her foot off his neck and says, I'm going to be in charge. Mm-hmm. Now, so those are the two kind of marriages. So you want to stay in, under God's blessing. Right. But even if you live a marriage that's, that's generally over there, you, you know, none of us can, we we're just not able to stay there all the time. Right. And so thank the Lord that we still have free will, mm-hmm. which normally gets a bad rap. Like, oh, I use my free will for terrible things. Right. I never, when I use my free will, if Everything is screwed up, but thankfully, you know, God is a forgiving God, and he's a, he's a God who wants you, you know, living under his blessing, and so you still have free will. And if you remember that, you know, then you can just try to rise above it. Yeah. Use your free will to go back to God's blessing. So, yeah. yes. No, that's awesome. I took a lot of notes during the relationship talk, and, and something that you said that really sp- stood out to me is when you were talking about the objective of marriage, you were kind of said— Find the godliest girl you know and ask her out. And then in that dating relationship, your whole goal is to, one, figure out, is she as godly as she says she is? And then, two, is she willing to spend the rest of her life with you? And you need kind of both of those for a, a solid yeah. relationship to work. You do. You know, it's it's so God's ways are the best ways. And I know that people haven't studied that. Some people disagree. The Bible says God's ways is the most excellent way. That is my personal source of truth. Mm-hmm. I stick with my source of truth, or I'm not a man of integrity. And that's what I found in my own life. You want to marry somebody where your basic values, your core, fundamental, deepest values, you know, are the same. If they're right. not, you're going to have a problem just overall. But when you have kids, then it's really going to create a problem because where right. do they go? So that's right. And then, and then you say a girl who will be with you your whole life. You know, you probably remember what my wife Julia said. And she she told me when we first got married, I'll never divorce you, Britt. But she then said, but I'm not promising I won't kill you. <laughs> and I think I've come close of a you know, few. But the D word is just not a word. Yeah. When you get married, the D word becomes scratched out from your mental and verbal plane. Vocabulary. You're going to have fights, but it's never like we're going to resolve this fight. Right. It's never going to go figure that far. out. Yeah. It's, and that's so important. I think that when, when, I mean, so first having that idea of like, okay, how can we create a solid relationship? But then even you have quite a few kids, a lot of grandkids, and 
Mm-hmm. Even, I guess, if you want to consider Titans to be your kids, you've kind of given us a framework in Titans, the five Fs, which mm-hmm. kind of closely mirrors what we're doing here on the Aggie Greats podcast, the 5C framework, which we've been going through the past couple of weeks. But um, for for you with this framework, it's it's faith, family, fitness, finance, and oh, there's boy, one more. You, you did so well in the preamp. Let's try it again. Yeah, so... Faith, I have them written down here. Oh, you can't look down there. All right. I missed the friends it, part. Like, you know what, it, like you're being tested. You, you have notes. I missed the friends part. Is yeah. I, uh, not, Faith, not too familiar with that family, word. family, friends, fitness, and finance. Well, really, this has to do with decision making. Mm. The most important thing we learn is how to make decisions. Right. And everybody makes, you know, let's say, you know, 100 decisions every single day. Not all of them super important, mm-hmm. but we make decisions, and that's the result of our decision. What comes from our decision-making produces the life that, we're, that we will lead and the type of person that we'll become and the people that we'll be with and all those kind of things. And so I just got to thinking, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, how do I make decisions? Yeah. And, oh, I, I do the pros and cons. <laughs> Well, that's fine, but it's got, oh, I got, got, I've got 10 pros and only one con. So I should definitely do the first. Well, the one con is I'm going to die. Well, that's kind of overrules, you know, everything (laughs) else. I'm going to lose all my relationships with Mm -hmm. everyone. So that's a framework, but it's not, should not be used for, to reach final conclusions. And it just surfaced over time that these five F's, I believe we can put every, decision-making factor under one of those five F's. Yeah. People can argue with that, but but it'll be basically the same. So you have them there, and they're just words, you know, faith, family, friends, fitness, finance. And food. Food's That's important. That's in the f- <laughs> friends part <laughs> and the family part and the fitness part. It fits into yeah. all of it. I know. It's always, always somebody, well, what about this? It can fit in. The So those are the factors that I think we all have that are inputs into how we make decisions. Yeah. And then we decide how we're going to use those factors and how much emphasis we're going to place on each one and maybe what order they're going to be in and whether it's a formula like 25% on this and yeah. 15% on that. Or is it a gating system? If this is yes, then I go forward. If this is no, then I don't go forward. Right. And so I think most people – and particularly young people, they, they, um, what, I mean, you only know one thing, this job is, is, you know, a hundred dollars and that job is $80. So I'm going for the hundred. Right. The, you know, if that's what you use as your decision-making factor going forward in life, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Mm. It's not that the hundred dollar job is always worse, but it's just, you haven't really thought it all through. So I want, so I want to be a good decision maker and I came up with these you know, five F's, and I thought I was the only person in the world. I'm so special <laughs> that, that I'm the only person in the world that thought of these five F's. Well, Kenner, lo and behold, I found just randomly reading different things over the years, like these five F's have been discovered by a lot of successful people. Hmm. And when they are discovered, they are they're used in exactly the same way. Wow. It starts with faith. So my decision-making process and all these people that I've read started out with just, well, it's just finance and then I'll deal with the rest of it. Right. To being a little further along, more mature. It's the first decision is faith. You know, can I be a man of faith in this situation? It doesn't mean that this situation is a church or a Christian event. Just, I, just can I be a man of faith in yeah. this, this scenario? doesn't have to be this common just can I be my true self? Right. Because if I can't be my true self, then I'm not going to be able to offer that enterprise the best that I can. Mm. And I only want to go someplace where I can offer them the best I can. Yeah. So if the answer is no, then it doesn't matter what the money is. It doesn't matter. Anything else, nothing matters. But if the answer is yes, the next question is, you know, how's this going to affect my family? And it's very easy as you go up to prayer to say, well, it's going to affect my family because I'm going to be able to send my kids to, you know, boarding school in some foreign country. And I'm not saying that's always a bad thing, but 
I want to know that this is going to enhance my relationship with my wife. I want to know that this is not going to produce an end result where I have no relationship with my children. And again, we're talking about success definitions. And so I just don't, for me personally, I decided years ago, there's no definite success that includes as a consequence a loss of faith, a loss of relationship with my wife and my children. There's nothing that's so successful that it makes that okay. Then I value high character friendships. And so you're talking about the people you're running around with. You know the saying that if I know your five closest friends, I know you. I don't even have to meet you. So we always have to consider, like, who are our five closest friends? Mm -hmm. And do I want to have the characteristics of that group? And a lot of times, unfortunately, there's some of them that you just kind of, I love you and I care about you, but you just can't be in my five closest friends. You can kind of be in the next set, and that's a tough one. I've been very fortunate, though. I've just had amazing people in my life, starting from college and my roommate in college, Jack McAdoo, all the way through everything. And I just I just am so thankful for the friends that I do have. And, you know, and then I didn't have fitness. Mm-hmm. At one it's, point. It's still at all the entire time. <laughs> hey, at A&M you did flag football, uh, right? Yes. It, when you're in college, you don't need to have it because you're running around yeah. and stuff. All Our metabolisms are still good. Yes. Yeah, but but when you get older, it's very important that you do have it. It's not just physical fitness. Because if you get through the friends thing there, is this going to kill me? Yeah. Spiritually, mentally, physically, or emotionally. Yeah. And if it is, it's got no, I'm going to stop here. I'm not going to go through that door. You know, as you go higher and higher and up the ladder, you don't make more money to have less stress. <laughs> yeah, that's and true. Don't say, oh, let's come and make all this money. And, and the, everybody has stress to a certain extent, obviously. And you don't make more money to have more time. Right. So you just have to learn to guard yourself in that way. And so if the answer is, now I can be a man of faith, it's, it, it will support my relationship with my wife, my kids. It's going to increase my high character friendships. It's not going to kill me physically, mentally, spiritually, yeah. emotionally. Then it's like, well, what was the job again? What was it? And it's fine. You just, But if it doesn't get through those four gates, I don't want to take that job. Well, and you it's, didn't always have that framework. I know that when you, I mean, you were in a lot of high-pressure situations, you know, working at Bridgewater, working at different companies. Before you had that framework and kind of when you hit rock bottom and mm. you were like, I don't. I, rock bottom? I, I, everything's been fantastic. What are you talking <laughs> about? Rock bottom. Oh, everything's perfect. Yeah, I mean, I know I know you've shared You're going to go there in the I past. Should. Okay. But I think that a lot of people come out of college, and I think it's so important for Aggies to understand at some point we are going to hit a point where yep. we're at our lowest. And, and a lot of people, unfortunately, of <laughs> well, literally, there are a lot of people. Yep. I mean, if we look at the suicide rates, we look at the depression rates, and mm-hmm. I mean, like, they're awful, especially for our generation. So when you hit that low and you obviously don't have that framework, how do you, how did you find a way to get out of it? And if you looked back, what skills do you know now that would have maybe helped that process be a little sure. bit better? So let me just tell people what yeah. you're being kind not to sort of describe what the circumstances <laughs> was, but it was odd because I guess I, I don't remember exact age, like 45, somewhere in there. The I was literally from the outside world looking in at the top of the mountain mm-hmm. in every way. My family was great. My I was a churchman. I'm the... And I was the CEO of Bridgewater, the biggest hedge fund in the world. And money was just literally, I mean, I'm talking about we were trying to stop the money from coming in. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good problem to have. Who does it? Like, oh, no, it's just coming over the transom so fast that we needed to slow down. So everything from the outside looking in and everything as far as I knew was good. Mm -hmm. But one night, I think it was kind of late January, I just I didn't sleep. And I'm not a great sleeper, so, but not to sleep all night is not normal. But of course, I thought that's 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 weird. But I didn't think anything about yeah. it. I just went on because I had important clients to meet, things to do, and I didn't sleep for about a week. And I thought, well, maybe I have the flu. But I just kept, you no, know, no matter what happened, no matter how much. My 
sleep deteriorated, my condition deteriorated. You know, I had responsibilities, and I would, I would get up and I would go to work and I'd do the best I could. But it, I want you to try to not sleep for three months. Wow, that's brutal. Yeah, and what was happening was I had an oncoming depression, and as you pointed out, the I think some we know about about. 33, 35 million people in America that are suffering from depression, not all severe, some, you know, productive, but it's still depression. And it's kind of like when you say only another alcoholic, you know, can help a current alcoholic. If you've never been depressed, which I hope you never have, because it's hell on earth, the, you just, you just can't really understand it. Mm. The, but I have been, and and so uh, I actually went to Ray Dalio and Bob Prince and both dear friends of mine and, and said, guys, I don't know, something's wrong. I didn't know what was happening. I said, something's wrong here. I'm just not, not myself. And, and it made it harder and harder to make decisions, makes it harder and harder to relate to the outside world. Yeah. And, and I said, I, I need to stop. And these guys who are both obviously brilliant and do honestly love me, Gave me bad advice. They, they thought it was good, which is, we know, let's not overreact to this. And so I, I took that advice and I stayed and it just, it accelerates. Yeah. The way, it, you know, it's, it's, and you can't, the thing is you just, you, some things in life you can just like, just, just buck it up here. Right. And just, you know, get over it. Mm-hmm. This is not that kind of thing. And so finally on a Wednesday, I just went to Ray and said, look, I'm leaving today. Wow. And so I go home. I tell Drew what all this happened. I said, I, I want a doctor's appointment tomorrow. I'd skipped every – I'd had them, but I just postponed them because yeah. I had to do a podcast. When you're busy. <laughs> <or> yeah. something, <laughs> something like that. Important things. Yeah. And uh, I just skipped everything. And and so now – and so I, I got a doctor's appointment the very next day, and this poor doctor comes in. Never seen him in my life. And even then, I'm still my, my you know, honorary self. And he walks in. I said, doctor, I just quit my job as the CEO of Bridgewaters. I don't know if you know, but this is an important company. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, look, I believe I'm depressed. I've heard there's, there's medicine for this. Let's get it. Let's get this over with. And this doctor's kind of, oh, my gosh, how did I get this guy? Because that's not how it works. <laughs> right. You don't just take the pills. It's like a little know. Band-Aid for it. I said, I said, I've got to be somewhere on Monday. Yeah. This is Thursday. I've got to be somewhere on Monday, so let's get this done. Well, it takes a minimum of eight weeks. Wow. And usually longer, but a minimum of eight weeks. But I did have what I had on Monday was a physical. And I'm only going to tell this part because it's, it's significant. So here I'm at. I'm in bad shape. I'm in bad shape. I'm you know, just, you know, fidgeting. And, but I go to the physical, and so I'm on the treadmill. And I mean, I, it's very clear there's something, something's going on with this guy up there. Yeah. And I had two yeah. nurses in there. One was just, she was a superior nurse, and, but she was younger, and she was just professional, and she just took the notes, and she just did what she needed to do, and she did not pay one iota of attention to my condition. Yeah. And she left. And then the older nurse stayed and she said sir you don't have to live this way Mm. you know so one of the things I learned during that time among many things was we're just not aware of our surroundings yeah we have people hurting all around us and we either don't see them or we don't care enough to help them yeah there's this thing I do with my company's just when I feel like it, it seems like it comes up every year or two. And I'm going to provide a list of things that people struggle with. You know, you're having trouble with your marriage. You know, you're, you're having trouble with your children. You're in financial straits. You're, you know, you have a sickness. Something that is like an impact in your life right now. When I've read this list, I want you to raise your hand. If any one of these is your circumstance, I'm not going to ask you to elaborate. And so I read it. What percent of people think raise your hand after I've done that? Probably every single one. It should be everyone. It should it's be. about 90%. Yeah. 90, 85%, 90% every single time. And so let's say you and I sit next to each other, and I raise my hand and you raise your hand. Yeah. The thing that's really terrible is that we don't go back and say to one another, you know, 
I saw you raise your hand. You know, I did too. You know, I didn't know you were struggling with anything. Mm. You, can I help you or can yeah. we share our, you know, because a burden shared is a burden had. Right. But we just are so consumed with ourselves or we're so afraid what to get doing. involved yeah. that we either don't see problems that are all around us or we're kind of like, that's above my pay grade. And yeah. sometimes it is above your pay grade, but usually it's not. Wow. So I finally, you know, get, you have to get training. I mean, you have to get the medication, go to a talk therapist and all that kind of thing. And, and they tell you to stay involved in whatever you can. And for somebody who's in a, in a depression, that's actually very difficult. Yeah. So one of the things that I was involved in the summer was I was the head coach of a little league all-star team. And, mm. and we, I'd been the head coach and I had these guys who were coached with me and the team was very good. And we're a couple of new players were coming in town. So everybody was super excited. It's a little town, right? Yeah. And I had to go to those guys and I said, look, do not ask me why, but I can't be the head coach this year. Mm. I will stay and I'll coach the pitchers, but I cannot be the head coach this year. Now, I want you to think about this, Kenner. This is the first time in my life I've ever have ever said I couldn't do something. Wow. Yeah. I never said I couldn't do anything. I said I didn't want to do a lot right. of things. But I never said I could not do it. Mm. And these men are really high-class guys and really good friends, and they didn't ask me why. And one became the head coach. Years later, not years later, yeah, a few years later when I was five, recovered, and I told them it was, it was depression, they were relieved. Because they thought it was cancer. Because <laughs> I looked great. You lose a lot of weight sometimes. And so I stayed on. And I, I mentioned this story because it came, this this team was good, but but we would normally get knocked out like the third week of July. Yeah. And so we would plan our vacation for the fourth week of July. <laughs> like this is how it works. Well, lo and behold, this particular year, we didn't lose the third week of July. We're still in it, so you can imagine yeah. how, you know, this little little league crowd, if They're you've been excited. in those, super excited. And it's our vacation time, but look, there's no way that Will Harris, who's their number two hitter and center fielder, there's no way he's going anywhere. Yeah. And if somebody's got, and I'm the pitching coach, but somebody's got to stay with him. So it was at 6 o'clock in the morning, I think it was a Friday, and I got up to, to, to get Julia and the other kids off to the airport from Ridgefield, Connecticut. And so they're gone at 6.30 in the morning or whatever. Now, Will's 13. He's going to sleep till noon. Right. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to try to read the Bible. Mm. Because when you're in that condition, you, you literally, it's hard to believe it. Like, you can't concentrate. You can't read. I had trouble praying the whole nine yards. So I thought, well, I'm going to try. And if you have a wife like mine, which I hope you will, She's got every translation of the Bible known to God or man in her kitchen. Yeah. So I just grabbed the first one I saw. I went out in the back patio, and I just let the Bible open. This is the way you should do it. I know this is what they teach in seminary. But it opened to Matthew chapter 9 and 10. And if you to place it for those people who know scriptures, Matthew chapter 9 is where it ends with, you know, the fields are wide into harvest, but the workers are few. Pray yeah. for workers to go to the field. But right above, there's a verse that says this. It says, Jesus saw all the people, and he had compassion on them because they were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Now, here I was, somebody who had never felt any need for compassion. I certainly like it, but it's like, why would you? I don't, I'm a successful guy here. Yeah. Where would I need compassion? So it wasn't that I thought about not needing compassion. I just never thought about it at all. Right. And I, I certainly could have been way more compassionate to people than I had been up until that point in my life, for sure. But now that she saw all the people and had compassion on them, and so I couldn't sit there and even remotely say, well, I'm not in that group. Right. But it also, because it said all. Mm-hmm. There was evidence that I needed compassion now. But it said also, what if it was the President of the United States? Yeah. What if it was your boss? What if it is somebody who's your servant, a waiter? It said everybody needs compassion. Yeah. And so, you know what, when you realize that, 
it does something something really unexpected. It removes your fear. The president comes in, and, oh, I respect him. Yeah. He's the president of the United States, but he needs compassion. Yeah. And then it says we need compassion because we're helpless and harassed. Right. But we all, you know, so we spend a lot of our life trying to do everything we possibly can to come across as if we're not. Right. You know, we hide our helplessness and we hide our harassment. And that takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, I've accepted the reality about myself. I've lost my fear of pretty much anyone because I know it's all of us. And I know that there's no one who's not helpless and harassed. And then it says, like sheep without a shepherd. So the only difference between me and anybody is I have a, have the shepherd. Wow. And not everybody does. And I want everybody to have the shepherd, but that's the only difference between wow. you and me and anybody. That's amazing. During that process, I think when people look at your story and they're like, this guy, you know, and by a lot of accounts, you know, like you, like you mentioned, you reached the top and you're standing up there, the top of what the world says success is and what most people would define success as. But you got there and you realized that success isn't the, fo- the highest form of achievement. No. And you've said that a couple times in, in Titan. So what is the highest form of achievement? Then? Significance. Mm. And what does that mean? So let me just set it up. So, again, I've had the benefit of so much wisdom in my life. But I have to admit, it's really embarrassing to think back about how much wisdom went over my head. Yeah. And it's kind of like a thousand pieces of wisdom went over my head. And I was able to go, oh, I got two of them. <laughs> kind of like being a bad shooter in a quail hunt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, I got two of the 30. Yeah. <laughs> the, but I got a few. And I got a few. And, and one of the big ones was that success is not the top of the ladder. And there was a man named Bob Buford. He passed away a few years ago. And and he was the, he was the owner of a big, successful private media company. And was a very strong Christian man, very kind of like a general in the Christian world. And he had some, some something happen in his life. His son passed away, and it caused him to rethink everything. Mm-hmm. And he actually... Because of his ability and his wealth, he actually had the, the former strategic planner for IBM, you know, come and I said, I want to plan my life strategically. Wow. And he came up with this concept of halftime. And halftime sort of manifests itself in a couple of ways. One is he wanted to structure so that he would work half the time in his business and half the time directly in ministry, although your business is your ministry. Yeah. And he also came up with this concept of the first half of your career is about success, but properly defined. You're not married. You're going to be successful when you find this wonderful woman that you're going to marry. Yeah. You're going to have kids, and that's going to be yeah. part of your success. You're going to move to a certain place. You're going to get certain responsibilities. You're going to get certain resources. You're going to make mistakes. And I think an important caveat on that is recognizing marriage isn't necessarily the ultimate thing you know jesus was single throughout his life and i think when we look at from a biblical perspective like oh everybody's getting married like not everybody's called to being no to being married but i think that but don't there are a lot of, either most people are yeah, yeah. no I, some, I i definitely agree i just wanted to throw yeah, that in there sure yeah because we, we have more singles today in our society than we do married people yeah for that that was that happened for the first time in history five or ten years ago wow and and so you could be called to that. I, I think that many, but we also have to admit that many people who are in that situation, it's not their preference. Yeah. If you're older, it's because usually your husband passed away. You know, if right. you're younger, it's just because you haven't found the person that is going to be with you for the rest of your life. And, yeah. And so on. The So so the first half is success, but but success. He said that what he said was, I've seen a lot of people go from success to success to success, but never become significant. Mm. You can be very successful and not very significant. And you can be, in the world's eyes, have no success at all, but be tremendously significant. Yeah. But the point is, either way, your life should be significant. Wow. And so his encouragement was to take a halftime experience and he didn't tell you when, but it was kind of implied like halfway through your career. So yeah. let's say 45. 
which is what Joey and I did. And it's just like you're playing a basketball game or a football game. You kind of come in and reevaluate, like, how did the first half go? And usually it's kind of you're counting your blessings and you're licking your wounds, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. And, but you then as a couple decide how you're going to play the second half. Mm -hmm. But, and the only thing that's in common between any two, any people who do this is whatever it is they're playing the second half for is going to, is what they, believe is going to contribute to significance. Wow. That's awesome. So there was another there was another verse in chapter 10 that says this usually translated freely you have received freely give. So everybody's heard freely have received freely give. Right. That day Kenner that Bible I just grabbed off. I don't know what translation it was and I've hardly ever seen it since. But that day, the translation I had said, you have been treated with great generosity. Live with great generosity. Mm. Brit, you have been treated with great generosity. Live with great generosity. Now here, I'm sitting in a mansion. Mm -hmm. I'm looking out over the Connecticut forest. My beautiful, wonderful wife and children have just left. I'm here to be with my my son. There was no way in... Even no matter how irrational you, know, you yeah. can get, there was no way that I could could even pretend that I hadn't been treated with great generosity. Yeah. So, and this is connected to the significance. So, at that time, remember you, when you're depressed, it's kind of like do try to get out more. And I was recovering at this point, and so Drew and I invited out a couple. Now, even though I've left Bridgewater, you know this is the CEO of Bridgewater, so. We invited a couple, young couple, probably in their twenties, and I made sure that that where we're taking, where we're going to go, was the most expensive restaurant for miles around, mm. because I wanted the husband to think <laughs> I could either pay the bill here or pay the mortgage. <laughs> but we'd have a wonderful dinner with them and share a lot of life. And then when the bill came, Drew and I would say, "You know, let us take it." Mm. It was recovery. It was helping me with my recovery. But was also learning to be generous. Wow. That little couple turned into Titans. Man, that's such a cool story. Yeah, it is. I like that story. Awesome. I, I think your focus and my focus is really similar in, in creating Aggie Greats. And, and the very last question that I kind of ask every guest on the podcast is, what makes an Aggie great? Well, first of all, we're handsome. <laughs> Check no, mark on that no, one. That's, <laughs> well, I, I think you might be able to look in the mirror. <laughs> you know, Every Aggie that I know starts out with 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 a value system that is true. Yeah. And and they are devoted to it. It's not a value system that, well, it's good for today in this circumstance, but tomorrow I'll they understand what the value system is. And the value system is love for others. You know, the value system is hard work. Mm-hmm. The value system is like, I'm confident that I can do it. But I'm humble enough to know that I can't do it alone. Yeah, the you know we're team players. Most of us are are God fearing people. We have you know we're we're strong in our faith, and we want to. That's an important part of our life. We believe in other people. A lot of times, like, what do you really want most in your life? And the answer is, to turn you can like I don't know, but part of the part of the sign is like what what makes you cry. Mm. What make, when you see something happen, like what makes you cry? And I think for a lot of us, what makes us cry is that we see other people reach their full potential. Yeah. And of course, when other people reach their full potential around us, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we're the, you know, we benefit because right. it becomes a successful endeavor. But we don't give up. We're in an environment where wisdom is valued over technical competence. Yeah. And most of us are, we're leaders. Mm-hmm. But if you need us to follow, you know we can submit to another leader. Yeah, that's what's best to do. Man, that's awesome. a bunch of stuff. That's there's more, but that's yeah, nothing. there's a lot that makes up an Aggie great. But man, that that definitely hits the highlights. And and thank you so much, Britt, for for joining us. And that's still only a fraction of what I mean. This is a subtle plug for Titans. <laughs> oh yeah. If you're if you're can listening to this, say, yeah, you know, come come join Titans. I mean, it's an amazing program, and I, I think that this is just a fraction of probably all. Would this you stuff. mind if I, as we end, yes. if I just kind of give a synopsis of Titans? Yes, because explain what Titans probably is. Probably might be one of Aggie's. 
greatest secrets. So Titans, you know, started 18 years ago. It was a part of what I decided to do. It took a, a job that in the investment business that wasn't de- I wasn't serving central banks and was and you know wealthy corporations. I just I wanted to serve teachers, and so now I'm serving A and M, UT, and MD Anderson. So I, I started teaching Titans at A and M, and when I went to UTEMCO, part of their deal was, can you teach Titans at UT, which we've done. So now we've had 52 classes of Titans. Wow. And for everybody's benefit, so Titans is based on we try to select the 20 highest character, highest ability combination of students at these two schools now. And that's based on our assessment of their ability to be successful. But as I, you've heard me say, a lot of people have the ability to be successful. The, the second criteria is do you have the kind of character so that when you use your ability to become successful, it will be to benefit other people, not yourself. I just saw so much selfish leadership uh, during the middle part of my career. I just couldn't take it anymore. The, and so I thought, we got to do something better than this. Yeah. And the third is that you have to be a fully engaged person. Like when you commit to something, like you are all in all the time. And it's amazing to learn how few people have that ability. Yeah. But the ones who do excel, and they also have a unique mind. It doesn't mean that they have the same ability. Now, when we put together Titans, it's not like I want 12 quarterbacks. Right. I got you see the first group and I've got you know I've got a line but I don't have any wide receivers or I don't have a center or whatever you try to create the best team not to stack right of the best resumes and we we teach them this narrow pathway uh, which comes from scripture where this is in the Sermon on the Mount the probably most famous sermon in history and where you know Jesus kind of come in for landing and he says enter by the narrow gate for wide is the way and broad is the path that leads to destruction. And shockingly, most take it. The Bible doesn't have the word shockingly. It just seems <laughs> kind of shocking that yeah. most would take this destructive path. Right. But narrows the gate and it narrows the way that leads to life, and few find it. Mm. So, Titans, the goal for Titans, and originally, was to create 500 narrow path leaders. People who would be led to life, who would lead their families to life, their communities to life, their companies to life, and even their country and beyond. And so now we've had 800 students go through it. Wow. And they, as you know, they go into a network. They just don't yeah. take the class and go away. They go into a network. There's 800. And they're all over. 20, 20, 23 countries, seven... Not, not countries, 23 sorry. states. 23 states 27 countries. Mm-hmm. And they've created... And so we have, as you know, we have dinners in Houston, 250 River Oaks Country Club, mm. 200 Titans, 50 dignitaries. We have one in Menlo Park. We have another one in New York City. And every once in a while, we have one in London. And the oldest at, oldest Titan right now is 38 years old. Wow. And there's 37, 36, 35. 36 companies have been created with a market value of $5 billion or more so far. Wow. You're, you know, you're interested in the marriage thing. Yeah. 34 Titans have married another Titan. Now that's not— It's a good ratio. <laughs> not hugely surprising. I've sculled the whole school yeah. down to the, the right age and so on. The other day— I was Zoom meeting with, with a top law firm in Houston, with a top consultant in Houston, and the largest distributor of natural gas in the country, talking to their three leaders. Lo, lo and behold, all three of their aides were Titans. Wow. We wanted people to have the right path, get on the right path, and then stay together and just, and just see what happens. Yeah. Uh, the, the success of the strategy will come from the adherence to what we taught in the beginning and you getting older. Man, that's awesome. So this is probably going to be, this will be one of, the mo- it, one of the most powerful forces for the world and on a smaller basis for A&M, yeah. UT, you know, 
there's nothing that's gonna that has more potential than this does. That's awesome. And they're all devoted to the, to our to the schools, to one another, to this process. That's awesome. Well, I know that all the people who are listening to this podcast, people who want to become Aggie greats, are hopefully convinced at this point that you know Titans is one of the best opportunities. I should say that that there are over a hundred sponsors of Titans, mm. and and they're iconic people all over the country. This I think there's over twenty billionaires that sponsor Titans, and most people think of sponsor as they give money. We we have plenty of money. We don't need any money. What we do is we give them we they sponsor Titans by being willing to interact with the students yeah. directly. And when they interact with our students directly, you know what happens next. Yeah, of course. How can I hire you and how can I hire the rest of them? Right. That's awesome. Man. Well, thank you, Britt, so much for coming on the podcast. For those of you guys who are listening, man, I hope you guys are absolutely blown away by this. And we'll see you guys next week. And as always, thanks and giggle.